Good morning, church. This morning's reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 14 to 34. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took out illnesses and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and beds of the air have nets, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a head of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the head of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole head rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The headsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Um, morning, uh, church. Um, it's been a while since I've been here. Uh, thank you for all your uh, prayers and uh, support. Uh, it's a joy for us to continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, next week we'll have Pastor Gavin from TRC. He's been here before. He will continue our series through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, going into Matthew 9. But today we're going to be looking at Matthew 8, 14 to 34, as was just read uh, by Brother George and as always, um, we need God's help, uh, we need God's strength, um, so yeah, let's, let's go to God in prayer. 
Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Lord, it's, it's not that you need our welcome. Um, you are here. You are here before we were here. And yet, Lord, what we are asking is that you would have your way among us. Uh, we are asking, Lord, that you would do what you will. Lord, we, we have our plans for this service. I have a thought of how this service will go, how this sermon will go. But, Lord, you are Lord. We are not. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way. Help us to see you, Lord. Um, help us to see you as you are. Glorify yourself among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, starting off with a, a little challenge for us, a little challenge for us here in the house. Um, if someone came to you if, you, if you had a challenge, you would never have to do this ordinarily. But let's say someone came to you and said... Um, Please summarize the gospel in three words. Someone came up to you and said, listen, you've got three words, three words, and three actual words. You can't string words together and act as if they're one word. No, three words, three words to sum up the gospel. Someone asked you that question. I wonder what you would say. Right? The, the, the gospel is this, it's so full, it's so rich. You could spend 10,000 words. 10 billion words talking about what the gospel is, right? The gospel is the heart of our faith. It's, it's what church is about. It's what Christianity is about. But if you had three words instead of 10,000 words, how would you summarize the gospel? Well, I think, biblically, right, if you go through the Bible and you were to answer that question, I actually don't think you could do better than these three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That, that's what the gospel is. If you had to break down the gospel into three words, I think the three words you would get as you look through the New Testament and see how the Bible describes the gospel, what you would be left with is Jesus is Lord. Right? Romans tells us that you must believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is this gospel. It's this thing. The gospel is all about the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this text here that was just read is all about the lordship of Jesus Christ and what that means for us here today. And in some ways, this text, this sermon, is kind of part two of what Nate preached last week because chapters 8 and chapters 9 of Matthew are all about Jesus' lordship, his authority, demonstrated through his works. Right? So, if you remember a few weeks back, we were on the Sermon on the Mount. When the Sermon on the Mount comes to an end, what we read is that the people are astonished at his teaching because he teaches as one with authority. Jesus teaches as someone who has authority. That's what you see in the Sermon on the Mount. But you leave the Sermon on the Mount, you get into chapters 8 and chapters 9, and what you see is that Jesus doesn't just talk a big game. He actually does have that authority. I'm not sure if you guys have had the experience of, you know, maybe you start a new job, first day at work, you go into work and you meet someone at work, and the way they talk, the way they come across, you feel like this must be the CEO of the company. They just, they just have that aura of authority, like they, they have that swagger, they have that thing about them that makes you feel that the, this person is in charge, and then the next day or so, you realize that actually you guys are on the same level, or even, this, even your junior in the workplace, and you're thinking, 
what's going on here, right? They, they talk like someone with a lot of authority, but they don't actually have that. Well, Jesus is different to that. Jesus talks as one with authority, but he doesn't just talk. His actions show that he has this authority. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask three questions about Jesus' authority as we see it in his works. And the first question is, what is the scope of his authority? What's the scope of his authority? Secondly, what is the response to his authority? What ought to our response be to his authority? And lastly, what is the purpose of his authority? So the scope of his authority, the response to his authority the purpose of his authority. And the hope is that by answering these three questions, we will know what it is to live in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord. So firstly then, what's, what's the scope of Jesus' authority? That's a, that's a good question, right? Um, if someone is Lord, if someone is a king or queen, then presumably they're the king or queen of something. They're Lord of something. There's a particular scope to their authority. Right, the queen just passed away. We call her the queen because she's the queen of a place, right? Some of you guys, again, you know, you call each other kings and queens. Yeah, hey king, hey queen. You, you love that kind of chat. And, and the reason why it's empty is king of what? Like, queen of what? Like, your, your bedroom? I, like, I don't know, right? It doesn't mean anything unless there's a scope to your authority. There's people you're actually king of or lord of, right? And so when we say that Jesus is lord, it's natural for us to ask the question, Jesus is lord of what? Lord over what? And the answer to that question, as you look through this text, is, is really abundantly clear. Jesus is lord over absolutely everything. So I want you to see that in the text. Firstly, what we see is you go through this text, you see that Jesus is lord over sickness. So look at verse 14. Jesus entered Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. There's this fever. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She has this fever, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. And it's quite striking how Matthew narrates this healing, because Matthew doesn't tell us that Jesus touches her and she gets better, or Jesus touches her and she recovers. Now, Matthew says, Jesus touches her and the fever left her. Almost as if to say that when Jesus touches her, the fever recognizes the touch of the Son of God. And the, the fever leaves. The fever flees. Because Jesus is Lord over sickness. You see this throughout the Gospels. It's one of the things, if you've ever read through the Gospels, it's impossible to miss this. Jesus is Lord over sickness. There's no disease or flu or virus or fever or bacteria. There's no disease. There's no cancer. There's no disease that exists in our world or in any other world that Jesus is not Lord over. Jesus is Lord over sickness. And that in itself is remarkable, right? No other person could say that. No, no other doctor could say that. Jesus is the great physician because he has authority over sickness. But you keep reading through the text and there's more because Jesus isn't just Lord over sickness. Jesus is Lord over nature itself. He has authority over nature. Look with me from verse 23. Jesus 
got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? A few months ago, we had Pastor Wale with us. He preached to us from this passage. And one of the things he reminded us of was the fact that Many of the disciples that would have been in that boat were fishermen. These aren't people that are new to the sea. These are experienced sea people. They spend most of their life being on sea, like on a boat at sea. This wasn't their first storm. They'd been through storms before. They'd been through particularly bad storms, I'm sure, and they'd lived to tell the tale. And yet, there's something about this storm that even these fishermen, these people who are so experienced, there's something about this storm that they cannot handle. The Bible calls it a great storm. And this storm is so great that these men realize that they are finished. This storm is beginning to overwhelm the boat, and the boat is beginning to sink. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a scary thing if you see nature at its full force, the force of nature. Here these guys are abandoned at sea and they're experiencing the full force of nature. And that's a terrifying thing. And yet the disciples need not fear because Jesus was in the boat. And Jesus is Lord over nature. And we see that because Jesus simply speaks. And the winds and the waves obey him. The winds and the waves, they recognize the voice of the one who spoke them into existence And they immediately stop. So there's this great storm, but it's not a problem because Jesus is also Lord over nature. And again, that's a lot. He's he's Lord over sickness. He's Lord over nature. But we keep going, and what you see is that Jesus is also Lord over all the spiritual forces of hell. So again, scroll down again, verse 28. He he came to the other side, Jesus, to the country of the Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Jesus is Lord over every demon in hell. Not too long ago, we finished a series on spiritual warfare on Wednesdays. And the thing that we kept trying to stress again and again when we were looking at spiritual warfare is that Jesus sits above every principality and every power. Jesus is Lord over all the powers of hell. Right? These demons aren't, uh, these aren't junior-level demons. These are senior demons. They're, they're really powerful. They've completely taken over the lives of these men. The Bible says that they're so fierce that no one can even go that way. No one even goes that way. If you're trying to get from A to B, you you go around the long way because there are these fearsome men who have been taken over by these fearsome demons. And there's no one who exists 
who is able to deal with these demons. But then Jesus shows up and he shows that he is Lord. And his authority is so much that before Jesus even speaks to them, they speak to him. They recognize him. Right? Notice Jesus doesn't say anything to these demons. These demons speak to Jesus and they recognize him as the son of God. They recognize him as the one who is able to torment them. Before Jesus even casts them out, they start begging him to cast them into, cast them into a pool of pigs. The demons, the demons, the demons, they see Jesus of Nazareth and they recognize that this Jesus is the commander of the armies of heaven. They recognize that he is Lord. And that's, that's just a sample, right? And, and that's what you're seeing in this passage. Again and again, it's just different array, a sample of the fact that Jesus is Lord over everything. There is not a thing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that Jesus is not Lord over. Jesus' authority is boundless. His realm is infinite. He's Lord over sickness. He's Lord over nature. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over all. He's Lord over the church. That's true. But you know, he's also Lord over the government. The Bible says he's the king of kings, right? He's Lord over the financial markets, right? As we see the pound stumble, he's Lord over that. He's Lord over our galaxy and countless other galaxies that no human eye has ever seen. There is nothing that comes to Jesus' desk that he says, oh, this isn't for me. I have to pass this up. No, Jesus has authority over all things. Jesus is Lord over absolutely everything. Jesus is Lord. And so to answer the first question, the scope of his authority is limitless. No bound. But that leads us to the second question. How are we to respond to his authority? How should we respond to his lordship? And the text kind of provides a kind of contrast on how people respond to Jesus' authority. Jesus is Lord. That's true. Amen. That's great. But the fact that Jesus is Lord also means that Jesus does what he wants. And that also means that sometimes Jesus does things that we would wish he didn't do. Jesus as Lord has a way of messing your life up. Like he, 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 your plans, the, the, life that you, the, the plans that you think you have for your life, Jesus has a way of just turning that upside down. Right? Jesus isn't Lord over your life in order to fulfill your plans for your life. Jesus is Lord over your life in order to fulfill his plans for your life. And sometimes his plans are different to your plans. Right? Look again, down verse 31, back to the demons. The demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down into the steep bank, into the sea, and drowned in the waters. So Jesus shows up as Lord. He's Lord over these demons. He casts these demons out. But you know, as he's doing that, you know what he also does? He, he messes up the local economy. These guys had a thriving pig industry, right? Gatherings is probably the place when you're going to make your Saturday morning breakfast, full English, you want to pick up the bacon, you want to get the sausages, you stop by Gatherines. That's, that's, that's what you do. And in Gatherines, these guys have the pigs, when you want that pork fillet for your, you know, your, your Sunday evening meal, 
you stop by and you pick it up. This is what these guys do. They, they, they deal with pigs. Well, and, and, and you know, going about their life, surviving, you know, raising pigs. I'm sure it's very difficult. I'm sure it's very hard. I have no experience whatsoever. But they're raising these pigs. They're selling these pigs. And then Jesus shows up. And yeah, fantastic, Jesus is Lord. But the end result of Jesus being Lord is that all their pigs end up drowning in the water. And the whole pig industry is gone. And because of that, I want you to see how these people respond to Jesus' authority. Verse 33. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. But you know what, how these people respond to Jesus' lordship? They reject him. Right? They reject him. Imagine that. The Son of God shows up in a certain town, and the people gather to ask him to leave. Right? I was reading somewhere, it says something to, to the fact that they preferred swine to their savior, right? They chose pigs. They, they were so concerned about the loss of the pigs that they would rather have Jesus leave. The pigs represented their way of life, their comfort, their ease. And this Jesus guy, he's Lord, he does what he wants. I'd rather not have that. I'd rather just give me the pigs, just give me my easy going life. Just give me my nine to five. Just give me life as I know it. Jesus, it's been great having you, but we would like you to leave. And it might be that some of us here this morning um, were sitting here and you are rejecting the lordship of Jesus Christ because you know that to follow Jesus will mess up your plans for your life. You are quite comfortable the way you're living. You're quite comfortable with what you're doing. You're, you're comfortable with the way things are, right? You're comfortable living for money and sex and power. You're quite comfortable with those things. You, you have your life goal set out. And you know that Jesus says, Lord, well, Jesus might ask me to do things I don't want to do. And so you are rejecting Jesus so that you can have your pigs. One way that people respond to the lordship of Jesus is that they reject him, despite the fact that he is Lord. But for others of us, we, we, we wouldn't dare, we wouldn't dare outright reject Jesus. So instead of outright rejecting him, we seek to put Jesus on hold. We put Jesus on hold. Scroll back up, verse 21. Um, another of the disciples came to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is remarkable, right? Uh, there's a man, presumably, Jesus has called this man to follow him. Jesus as Lord has called him to follow him. And this man has something very important to do. He needs to bury his father. And that's, that's incredibly reasonable. That, that's just perfectly understandable, right? Um, we know from history that burials in ancient Israel normally actually happened within the day. But at max, at max, would take a week. So Jesus has called this man. This man's father has died. And he's saying, look, I'm coming, but I need to bury my father. Not my father that gave me life, right? 
And that's a perfectly reasonable thing. He doesn't ask for six months. He doesn't ask for a year. He's asking for at max a week, Jesus, let me go bury my father, and then I'll come and follow you. And that's what's so surprising about how Jesus reacts to him. Because Jesus says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their dead. That's, that's striking. It almost seems unfair. But again, it has everything to do with the authority of Jesus. Everything to do. Right. Growing up uh, in my house, I have an older brother. Um, and if my older brother called me and I was upstairs, he was downstairs, and he called me, you know, come down to do something, um, I might respond to my older brother and say, you know what, Talala, I'm, I'm busy right now. I'm, I'm just playing the PlayStation. I'm trying to finish this game. When I finish this game, I'll get back to you, right? That's something I did, I'm sure, many, many times, right? Uh, I could tell him to wait. It was an entirely different thing when my dad called me from downstairs and I was upstairs. When my dad called me and I was upstairs, here's what I couldn't say. Dad, you know what? I'm playing the PlayStation right now. When I finish, I'll, I'll get to what you're calling me for. I couldn't do that. Now, now, why couldn't I do that? Well, in one sense, it's the same call. It's a call from someone downstairs. The difference, of course, is the authority of the one who is making the call. That's what makes the difference. Because my, my brother, he, he held some weight. He was my older brother. But I could delay my brother. I could put him off. I could put him on hold. But there was something about the authority of my dad that meant I couldn't put him on hold. I couldn't delay him. I couldn't tell him, I'll, I'll get to it. No, no, when my dad called me, I understood that I needed to drop what I was doing and come downstairs. This man who wants to follow Jesus, right? Don't decide that he wants to follow Jesus. He has every intention of following Jesus. He even recognizes something of the authority of Jesus. Again, verse 21, he addresses Jesus as Lord. He, he knows that this Jesus is Lord. He knows that he is master. He has every intention of following Jesus. He just needs to bury his father. And at the end of the day, right, doesn't the Bible say, honor your father and your mother, right? That's, that's what he's doing. He's, he's this final moment to honor his father. And in every other situation, it would have been the right thing to do. And if any other man had been speaking to him, it would have been absolutely reasonable but not when this man, Jesus, is speaking to him. Because this man is the God-man. This Jesus is God. And when he calls, his authority is such that we immediately do what he has called us to do. There is not a thing that exists that is so necessary that it somehow justifies putting the Lord Jesus Christ on hold. No doubt Matthew wants you to think back to when Jesus called John and James. And the Bible says they're there, they're fishing with their father. And when Jesus calls them to follow him, the Bible says they drop their nets and they leave their father and immediately they follow him. Because they recognize there's something about this Jesus that not only can I not reject him, I can't even put him on hold. I need to follow him and I need to follow him now. Now let me say something particularly to uh, our youth here. We, we thank God. It's, it's great to have you guys here. I know you guys will be up 
in a second talking with uh, the youth leaders. I fear that some of you here, young people, youth, you, you're here and you know that Jesus is Lord, right? Maybe you grew up in Sunday school and in Sunday school you were taught that Jesus is Lord and, and you know that Jesus is real, right? And you know that you want to live for Jesus. You have every intention of living for Jesus, right? But there's a few things you want to get to first. Um, there's a few things you need to get to first, right? Because you want a taste of the world, right? You want to live for Jesus for sure, but you want a taste of the world. You, you want the alcohol. You, you want the, the party. You, you want that. You, you want a taste of what that looks like. Maybe you're, you're getting ready to go to university and you want a taste of quote-unquote freedom. You, you've seen what happens. You, you're getting ready. You're thinking about, ah, oh, when I get to university and freshest weekend. And I'm, you know what? Forget church. Forget those things. I'm going to do those things for a while. Let me taste that. Let me experience that. Let me have a bit of that. And then I'm going to get back to Jesus. Let me put Jesus on hold while I see what this world is like. And then I'll get back round to following Jesus. So you've decided to put Jesus on hold. And let me warn you, if that's you today, let me warn you, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord in such a way that he will not be put on hold. He, he will not be delayed. You, you will not get back to Jesus. Do not dare try to put the almighty God on pause while you pursue the worthless pleasures of this world. Jesus is Lord. And that means we follow him and we obey him and we do that today. Right? We do that now. We follow him. Some of us here who are maybe a, a bit older than that, perhaps it's our, our careers. Right? Again, you know enough to know that Jesus is Lord. You know that you're meant to live for Jesus. Maybe that's why you're here today. But you're not quite ready to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. You're not quite ready to just... Seek first the kingdom of God, right? Um, and the reason for that is you're, you're, you're working hard at work. You're trying to get that promotion. Or maybe you're trying to get into a new field of work. And, you know, that's taking up all your time and all your energy. And you, you've promised yourself, look, when, I, when that gets sorted and, and I get that promotion and, and I get into that new place of work, or, or when I sort that thing out with my workplace, then I'll follow Jesus. Then I'll be ready to, to, to give everything up for Jesus, right? When, when things calm down at work, you know, and, you know, it's a bit easier, then I'll, I'll give my attention to what Jesus has called me to do. And you've convinced yourself that Jesus understands and that Jesus is happy to wait. Let me tell you, he does not understand. He is not happy to wait. Jesus is Lord. When he calls you, regardless of what's going on in your life, right? We drop what we're doing and we follow him because he demands your immediate attention. He requires every part of you and he requires every part of you now. Again, some of us, maybe like this man here in Matthew, it's our commitment to our family that is causing us to put Jesus on hold. I really want to take my faith seriously but you know what? The kids are just at a really important juncture in their education. And so, you know, I know Jesus calls me to be in church. I know Jesus calls me to fellowship with the saints. And I know those things are true. But 
they're just at such an important part, the, the kids and their future. So, you know, let me pay attention to that. You know, Jesus, I'm coming. Maybe there's some extracurricular activity that's going on in the family or with the kids. And it's like, you know what, I, I know the importance of following Jesus. And, and I'm going to get to it. But, you know, right now, the, the focus has to be this. Again, let me warn you, there is nothing in this world that warrants you telling the God of the universe to wait. And following Jesus is more important than all the GCSEs and all the A-levels in this world. And every single extracurricular activity that your kid might be involved in. And everything that might be going on in the life of your family. Following Jesus was more urgent than this man burying his father. Right? Jesus doesn't say, oh, okay, it's fine, cool, I'll see you in a week. Jesus says, follow me now. Our families are important, our careers are important, these things are important. But when Jesus calls, we obey him and we obey him immediately. And again, you have our ways of justifying it, we know how to justify it. You know, after all, Jesus gave me this job, you know, Jesus wants me to do, Jesus understands, he, he wants me to do well in it. But whichever way you justify it, Jesus calls it unfaithfulness. It doesn't matter that you intend to follow Jesus after. The fact that Jesus is Lord means that we must follow him and we must follow him now. And you know what's so amazing about this passage? is the contrast. Because the only creatures in all of creation that dare reject Jesus or dare put Jesus on hold are people. Us. We are the only people that have the audacity to say to the God of the universe, no, or wait, right? When Jesus spoke to the fever, the fever doesn't, when he touched the fever, the fever didn't say, you know what, I'd rather not. The fever left. When Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, they didn't say, you know what, let's just finish what we're doing quickly and, and we'll get to it. No, immediately they stopped as if they were never moving to begin with. The demons, when Jesus says go, the demons, they leave and they leave immediately because even Satan's armies recognize that they need to obey Jesus Christ and they must do so immediately. And yet you and I, we're constantly playing this game where we think that Jesus can speak to us, can command us, and we can tell Jesus no or wait. That's foolishness, right? We can't because Jesus is Lord. And you know, the time of rejecting Jesus, the time of putting Jesus on hold, is coming to an end. Right? Jesus is Lord, and he's coming again, and the book of Revelation says he's going to burst into our world, and he's going to be riding a horse, and there's a two-edged sword that's coming out of his mouth, and he will slay all those who resist his authority. Jesus will not be rejected for eternity. He will not be put on hold for all of eternity. He will not tolerate that for all of eternity. No, the day is coming when all will see how great Jesus Christ is. The day is coming when all will see his glory and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. And what that means this morning is that in whatever area of our lives that we are rejecting Jesus or putting Jesus on hold, you need to repent and to obey him. What's the response to Jesus' authority? There's only one right response. Immediate submission. Immediate submission. And yet, in all that I've said, right, Jesus is Lord. He has this limitless authority. We need to respond by submitting to him. 
None of that is in and of itself comforting unless we know the purpose of Jesus' authority. That's the third question. None of that's immediately comforting, right? When you think through history, if you think through history, and you think through the most powerful people in history, I don't know who you think of, maybe the Caesars or, I don't know, Napoleon or, or some of those people. If you made a list of the most powerful people in history, you know what that list would also be? It would also be the list of some of the most wicked people in history. Power and authority is a scary thing. It's a scary thing, right? Because the more power and the more authority someone has, the more of a threat they are. And often the more power and authority they have, the the more wicked they are, right? If you hear of a country that's led by one ruler, there's no parliament, there's no one else, there's no checks or balances, there's this one guy or one woman, and they just do whatever they want, just by instinct you think, I don't want to live there. That guy's going to be, or that woman's going to be doing madness, Why? Because as the saying goes, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Typically, people use power and authority to exploit others and to oppress others. And so ordinarily, just by itself, saying that Jesus is Lord and he's Lord over all and that we need to submit to him, that in and of itself is not good news. Unless we see the purpose of Jesus' authority. What does Jesus use his authority for? Again, look at the passage. Jesus uses his authority over sickness. What does he do with that? He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus has authority over nature. What does he do with that? He saves the disciples. Jesus has authority over the spiritual forces. What does he do with that? He rescues these demon-possessed men. What does Jesus use his authority for? He uses it for the good of people. That's the purpose of his authority. And it's both obvious and surprising that the Son of God, who has all authority, all power, this omnipotent God, he uses that authority, he uses that power for our good. Jesus' omnipotence, his, his power, his authority is good news because he uses that power for good. Jesus' authority is not an authority that he uses to oppress us, It's an authority that he uses to empower us, to lift us up. Look, church, the the lordship of Jesus is good news because Jesus is good. He's good. And all of that is summarized in that wonderful quotation from Isaiah 53. You see this in verse 16, Matthew 8. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus has all this authority. What does he do with it? He uses it to bear our illnesses and take our diseases. That's what he uses his authority for. And that means he brings about his plan without fail. And undoubtedly it's true. Jesus' plan for your life is different than your plan for your life. But you know what's good? Jesus' plan for your life is infinitely better than your plan for your life. Jesus is Lord, and he's going to bring about his plan. But you know why that's good news? Because his plan for you is for good and not for evil. Right? It's to prosper you and not to do you harm. It's to bring you to an expected end. Jesus has all authority in his hand. And what he does with that, he works all things together for our good. 
That's what he does with his authority. And of course, when you're reading through the Gospels and you're seeing this again and again, Jesus has authority and he uses it for good and he uses it for good. And of course, the ultimate expression of that, as you read through the Gospels, is that fateful Easter Sunday, when Jesus Christ, having been killed and crucified and being buried in the grave, on the third day, he got up. And he gets up with all power in, in his hand. And he demonstrates by his resurrection that he's not just Lord over sickness. He's not just Lord over nature. He's not just Lord over demons. Jesus is Lord over death itself. He gets up and he has the keys to death and Hades in his hand. He gets up and he declares that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus is Lord, right? He's risen from the dead and he is Lord. The resurrection demonstrates that. And again, don't, don't miss that. All of that is for our sake. Jesus doesn't defeat sin for his own sake. He doesn't defeat death for his own sake. No, this great victory, he wins, he wins for us. And that means that if you're trusting in Jesus, that death will not have any hold on you. It means if you're trusting in Jesus, you will live forever. His power becomes your power as you put faith in him. His resurrection guarantees your resurrection. His victory is your victory. Because he won, we are more than overcomers. We are, we are more than conquerors. Jesus is authority. He's Lord. He's Lord. But that's good news. Because all of his power and all of his authority is for our good. And because he's won, because he's Lord, church, we are headed to a new heavens and a new earth. We are heading to a world where there's no pain and there's no fever, there's no cold, there's no cancer, there's no bacteria, there's no virus, there's no depression, there's no anxiety, there's no fear. Because Jesus is Lord, I can tell your suffering has an expiration date. Because Jesus is Lord, your pain is not eternal. Because Jesus is Lord, he, he's won the victory. And so follow him. Trust him. I'm not just asking, Jesus doesn't just ask for us to follow him because of his just great power. That's true. That in itself is enough. But submit to Jesus and follow him because he has all power in his hand and he is using that to work every single thing for the good of those that love him. And he's using that to bring us into a renewed world. Church, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he's Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you because he is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Lord, he is Lord over all things. He is exalted far above any power that exists in this world. Lord, we thank you. There is not a thing that Jesus is not Lord over. We thank you, Lord, not just for that, but that he uses that authority for our good. We thank you, Lord, because there is not a thing that is troubling us. There's not a burden that we've brought in here that Jesus is not Lord over. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us the grace to follow him. To stop making excuses. To stop seeking our own agendas. Lord, help us to put everything aside and to follow your son, Jesus Christ. Give us the grace to do so. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to take a moment now.